The following teaching, I just wanted to give an intro. Uh, Dean will be teaching on the law in the New Testament, uh, whether it applies to us today or not. Um, if you have already listened to his teaching on using study materials like references, reference books and things for studying the Bible, um, then you have already heard this section because he goes through in part B of that section, that would be um, 7B, he goes through and talks about um, how to use your reference materials to study different subjects, and he covers um, the law in the New Testament. So if you've already heard that study, then this is going to be something that you've already heard, and you might want to move on to a different teaching, or you could listen again and enjoy it all over again. Just wanted to give you a heads up so you didn't feel like it was being repetitive. Um, otherwise, hang along and join us again as we look into the New Testament, what the New Testament has to say about the law for us today as Christians. Tools. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to talk about a really, really well-known verse of Scripture. And we may get a little controversial, but I hope not too controversial. No fighting! <laughs> right. In Ephesians 2, verse 8. Uh -huh. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to break down this scripture and we're going to use some of the tools. We're going to use some concordances and things like that. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Okay, you guys have all heard this scripture, right? Okay, if you'll pass that around. So, now this... Uh, I'm just going to show you guys a little bit about how you can uh, use um, some of the tools. This is Thayer's Greek-English lexicon. Um, or actually, let's start with the Strong's. This is the Strong's Concordance. Basically, what it does is it takes the Bible and it takes... Biblical words and breaks them down into, like you were saying, the original Greek and the original Hebrew. So if you don't read Greek or Hebrew, you can break out your Strong's Concordance. Mm -hmm. Say, take that, that word works. And I look it up in my Strong's. Eight. Okay, so basically what I printed out for you is just a small portion of what it has. So I look up the word works in the Strong's, okay? Now the word, now the Strong's in the back is broken down into Hebrew and Greek, okay? Because we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written primarily in Greek, right? So being as this scripture is in the New Testament, I'm going to look up this word in the Greek because... If I look over here, I see that there's several words that were used in the, in, the, in the Hebrew that were translated works in our Bible, right? Okay, in the New Testament, I notice that there's like two, about three or four words that is translated in our Bible works, okay? 
But I look at that specific scripture in Ephesians 2.8, and I notice that the, work that the word that they use is number 2041, right, in the Strong's. So I turn back here, and that's... So if I look in my Greek dic dictionary, because like you say, I don't study Greek myself, but I can look at this and kind of get shades of understanding and kind of a deeper understanding about this word that I don't know myself. And so I see that 2041, that word is ergon, okay? Now, they use several different words in, in the English that say works, okay? But this in this particular instance, it's that word ergon. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Lord of the Rings. Huh? Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> Not ergon. Okay. Ergonomic. Ergonomic. Ergonomics. Exactly. Ergonomics is what? It's a study of how we move, right? How we, how, ergon. Ergonomics is how how. Um, our movement interacts with what we're doing in an efficient type way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I see that it's that word ergon. So it's like, okay, um, and here, some of the ways that they use it is to work, action, behavior, deed, deeds. Um, it uses it as task once, work 34 times, and work 62 times. So this is how it's translated in your and I, in my Bible, at least in the New American Standard Version. Okay, but say if I want to go deeper into it, I can break out my Thayer's lexicon. Okay, because this is basically what this does is it takes the, the Strong's letters, and again, all this stuff is online. It takes this letter and this word in the Strong's, and it breaks it down even further. Okay, they also have this book right here, which is the Brown Driver Briggs, and it's for the for the Old Testament for the Hebrew. Okay, so I can look that word up, twenty forty one, in my Thayer's, and it's got like all this stuff, all this information that just further breaks this word down. Can we see? You and it gives really it. Show it to everybody. No, I gave you a page. No, show us that. Oh, okay. See, so it's all oh, that wow. right there, and. And so you can, like, if, because so, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and I come across something, it's like, I want to know what the Greek is on that. I want to know what they were trying to say, because that's the thing with language. A lot of times things get lost in translation, and especially when you're talking about Greek and Hebrew, because our language, the English language is really precise, it's really broken down, it's really structured, right? Their language was a lot more free-flowing. Their language is more of an oriental style and more of a word pictures type thing. Like Chrissy okay. said, colorful. Yeah. More, yeah, yeah. They yeah. may have said this while I was gone, but to complicate things further, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the Greek is a translation from the Aramaic to right. begin with. Yeah. But yeah, so I read this and stuff, and it just it talks about business employing employment, that which anyone is occupied. So it's basically the same way that we use the word work, right? Um, 
says it's of the work to be done by the apostles and other Christian teachers as well as by the presiding, presiding officers of the religious assemblies. And so you just read about it and it gives you different shades. It's kind of like our dictionary. Like if you look at a dictionary, if you want to know what a certain word yeah. means in the English language, it kind of breaks it down and says, well, it means this, it also means this, and it also means this. Same thing with this, okay? It's just taking this word that we've learned right here and it breaks it down even further, Okay. So, then, but say I want to, um, so, basically we looked at the word works in our Strong's Concordance. That word works is how the translators translated different words so that when we read our Bible, it says works, okay? Right. But that not, might not be the same word in the original language, Okay. So I go to my Wigrams, which what this does is it does the original word in all the times that that was used in Scripture, right? Which is that paper that I gave you guys. Oh, like 2041? Yeah. Okay. So it's using the same Strong's numbers, and that's, that's what's really cool about the Strong's and the way that they've set it up, is they have set it up to where you can do all kinds of really cool things with it. So in the Wigrams, now when I look at this, and I look at all these scriptures right here, this is how that word ergon is used in every scripture in the New Testament. So I can look at this, and that word ergon is in every single one of these scriptures, and it's not in any other place that's not in these scriptures. Does that make sense? So if I want a complete whole picture of what that word means, I can look at stuff like this and say, this is the entire... New Testament picture of what they're trying to say with that word. Okay? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But if Jesus spoke in Aramaic, then it seems like you have to go to Aramaic, not Greek. Well, we do the best we can. The apostles translated that when they write it. So the apostles wrote Greek, but they're translating his words. And you have to trust that they meant, you know, translated his words. They live with him, but that's actually what it meant. Right. But honestly, the Bible you can get too much into the Greek and Hebrew is amazing and is wonderful to have as a tool but almost always you can get the meaning if you just read it and mm -hmm. it usually means the first thing it sounds yeah. like it means because the scholars be people, yeah the scholars <laughs> mess things up and they'll all disagree but you know you can get into because I grew up in like the works aren't for today and so there'll be scholars that every verse that would imply that the work is for today, they retranslate it to how it meant back then and how it's not for today. So mm -hmm. in the notes, they'll have, you know, their opinions, right. which I no longer agree with, <laughs> but their whole, all of their notes yeah. will be like that. So you have to be careful with any yeah. man. He may be jaded or see partially on right. something. Well, and, and that's the thing is that, you're right. You can, with all tools, you can get to where, like, it, it just gets wearisome. You know what I'm saying? And I've done that. I've gotten to where it's like, ugh, i got to set this stuff aside and just read the Bible, you know, because it can. But I'm just saying, like, say you've got a nut that you really want to crack, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you've got something that you really want to dig into. you got something that you're like, this thing's bothering me. Huh? You can give an example. Go for it. serve a bunch of drunk people at a wedding more wine mm -hmm. and so I was like why would he make more wine than a bunch of people that were already intoxicated yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me 
And so I had to look up the word wine. I was like, well, what is it talk like? Is it like an intoxicating drink, or is it this, or is it the same wine? That they oh, and then I said, was the Holy Spirit? Is it the same wine that they talk about in the Holy Spirit being mm. poured out in Acts? You know, it says, are are you guys drunk with wine? And they're like, no, you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And so I was like, is that are those the same two words? Like, because the Holy Spirit reference is definitely they're drunk. They're intoxicated. They're a bunch of right. you know alcoholics. So I was like, is that the same word that Jesus used when he turned water into wine? Is that the same wine that they're talking about in reference to the Holy Spirit? Where it's just obviously they're saying they're drunkards, like in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And then, or is it not that they were being bad things, but other people that yeah. didn't know any better, yeah. you know, thought they were just drunk? And um, is that the same wine that was used at the wedding in Canaan? The whatever, and I was like, so if it is, that means Jesus got them more, to- you know, stoked up. So, no, they were running so, out of wine. But, they were running out. But it's an actually a different word. It's mm-hmm. not the same word. It's yeah. a different type. There's actually a different type of wine. Mm-hmm. Like it's more of like a, it's like not, not as, as fermented. A, yeah, it's like a not as, it's a different type. I haven't really studied mm-hmm. exactly Makes what. And without arguing about that topic, because we could all get off on that, her point is, is it the different yeah, word? Yeah, yeah. It was so, a, I just thought it so was interesting cool and it helped me. I was like, see that it's a different word. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. It's like before you you got into it, you didn't necessarily know it was a different word. Yeah. So right. when you study it, you're like, uh-huh. So mm-hmm. there's, this is, there's, there's uh-huh. the clue, there's right. the key to understanding and the scripture. It's different. I was using it to justify. I was just like, well, sure, you know, like, <laughs> you know Jesus is getting people that are already drunk he's giving them more stuff you know and then, and then uh, but it's actually a different word right. I don't know how it's different but it is that will be for another Bible yeah. <laughs> I'll do that one okay so we're talking about the word works now I don't know about you but I've seen a dichotomy in scripture in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 or a seeming dichotomy in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Turn to James chapter 2. <clears throat> and this, what I'm trying to show you here, guys, is how to reconcile Scripture. Right? Mm-hmm. Just like uh, Ruth was trying to do. It's like, I don't understand this. I need to reconcile this and make it make sense in my mind. Because that's what, ha- when you start studying the Word of God, guys, you will come across things that look like they're contradictory. Or like they, like right. one scripture says this, another scripture says this. There are prophets that say, um, ignore a foolish man, and then, you know, stuff like that. And then there's one that says something like, you know, put up with a foolish man or something. You know what I'm saying. But there are lots of scriptures that sound like they're saying completely opposite things. Um, and... What happens at some point is that a lot of people, they take those things and say, well, the Bible doesn't make sense or the Bible's contradictory. And it's not. It's the only problem is, is that you have not studied it and you have not really sought out and discovered what the Bible's actually trying to say. Or they choose sides and don't try to come to the balance of what is it really saying. Right. Yeah. So in a few, or, uh, James 2 verse 14 He said, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Again, we're talking about the word works, right? It's the same exact word. In verse uh, 14, chapter 2. Okay, I thought it was 4. Did I say 4? No. Oh, okay. 
It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and you, yet you do not give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by, by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Look at this in 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of, of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's a tough one, right? And so when we don't understand the word, when we don't use tools to get to the depth of what he's trying to say, then there's going to be misunderstanding. Okay, but, right, so, but, if we take the tools that God has given us, because the Bible forms a complete whole, remember what we read in the very beginning, it is, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of us to seek matters out, and so, it is, it is a glory for us, and it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's awesome and it's something it's a blessing that God has given us to be able to take his word and take these things that are difficult to understand Peter said Paul writes things that are difficult for us to understand that untrained and un, uh, people that are unfamiliar with the scriptures distort to their own destruction and so this has been happening forever is that people take the word of God and because the first thing that they come across that they don't understand or that, that presents a problem to, to, for them, they like throw it all off. Mm -hmm. They're like, it's, it can't be true. It can't be understood. Uh, you know, it's nonsense. But if you study it and you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, then what happens is you come from it with a complete whole picture instead of a half of a picture. Okay? So... Um, Turn to uh, turn to Romans chapter three, and that's the thing that there is an answer, you know. And sometimes there are things that you read that you won't understand, right? There are things that, I mean, there's things that none of us understand, right? Nobody understands all of the Bible, okay? And you can study it for years. I mean. You can read the Bible a million times and there's still going to be things that you don't understand. Sometimes there are things that you just have to put on the back burner and, and know that God will be faithful to reveal that to you sometimes. I mean, there's things that I, that I haven't understood for years that all of a sudden God will you know, give you understanding of it and things. And it's just a matter of being patient. It's just a matter of trusting God that in His time, He's going to reveal it to you. At the same time, Again, it's our glory and our blessing and our benefit to search things out and to try to understand them and try to understand. Because again, we're not trying to understand doctrine and just dead theology. We're trying to understand who is this God who has written this book and given us this book. And through these things, 
brings us to a complete understanding. So in Romans chapter 3 verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the, through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Um, even the righteousness of God through faith in, in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over sins previously committed. Um, Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See, doesn't that sound like in complete contradiction to what we just read? Because in, in James he says, you see that a man is justified by works as well as the law. In verse 30, since indeed God who will justify the, uh, the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, we're going to look at some scriptures. Notice that in every case that it's talking about, it talks about people who are living under the Mosaic law, mm -hmm. who are living, uh, who are circ being circumcised, who are cutting the corners of their hair, who are, who are offering sacrifices of bulls and goats, who are, um, who, who, are, who are doing ritual washings and purifications, all kinds of things. Every one of these scriptures are going to involve that to some degree. Um, turn to Romans 4 verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about. In other words, if Abraham was good enough to be justified because of what he did, then he's, he has something to boast about. Okay? Um, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. In other words, if you're good enough to earn your own righteousness, God doesn't have to give you anything. So he obeyed because he believed right. that obeying mm -hmm. was the works. Right. And the believing was the faith. Right. So it put it into submission. Yes. Yeah. But you're jumping ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised? And again, he's talking about now we're getting into Judaism and the things that accompany it. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Okay, we know the story of Abraham, right? 
God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and sent him out to a place that he didn't know where he was going. And the Bible in Hebrews 11 says that God counted that to him as righteousness because he obeyed. This was before he was circumcised. Okay? This is before he did any kind of sacrifices, before he did anything for God. God just said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave everything, pack up, and go. And Abraham went. And so at this point, it says he believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. So he didn't do anything. He didn't circumcise himself. He didn't um, make sacrifices. He didn't tithe. He didn't do anything at this point. Okay? Um, it says, so how was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while he was uncircumcised. Um, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, in other words, Jews, but also those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while he was uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see that? Turn to... Um... I have a quick question. Yes. Okay, so Abraham... I mean, this is a little off topic, but Abraham was not a Jew, correct? No. But he became the father. Right. So, right. Okay. He was actually Chaldean. Right. Okay. So where did you say to go, Dean? Romans chapter 4. Oh, we just read that. It just, like, when people, you know, like, bring false doctrine about, like, Jews and stuff and... Yeah, okay. It makes me think about that, like, he's the father of the believers. So. Right. Okay. So wait, yeah. Bye, guys. Thanks for coming. Sorry, we have to no, you're good. Oh, yeah, those desserts, oh, scoops, I think, so good. good. You like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you say scoops? I said scoops. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, um, the last scripture you said to turn to the... Um, so, James wait, chapter 2. So, Megan, just clarify, because I, I didn't follow you too, but your question was too, when you said, um, so he wasn't Jewish, right? Okay. But then... So he's the father, like... No, I didn't hear okay. that. You said he's the father, but I never got it. Right. So, Abraham wasn't a Jew himself. Right. But God brought him out and set him apart. He would become the father of the Jews. Like, okay. That's and the Gentiles. That's what I just want to hear. It is. Okay, yeah. Jews and the Gentiles. I just didn't need to complete that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry, guys. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. Okay, so all we're doing is we're just trying to unpack these scriptures and get understanding of what it's talking about. Is everyone okay so far? Okay. Galatians chapter 2. And these were all scriptures that I pulled out of that Wigram's, okay? Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all. Now this is when, you guys remember the story about how Paul um, got the vision, the revelation from Jesus, and Jesus told him, you can eat anything that you want to, Right? Um, the sheet came down from heaven and there were all kinds of unclean animals and he said, rise and kill and eat, right? 
Okay? Peter being a Jew was like, I am not going to eat these things because they're unclean. And as a Jew, he was taught all his life, you can't eat these things, you can't touch these things because they're unclean. And three times he had this vision, and, and the vision, the voice, the angel told him, rise, kill, and eat. Okay? And so after, after that happened, Peter started association, associating with Gentiles, even allowing them into his house and into his presence and stuff like that. Things that a Jew would not do. If you were a Jew, a Gentile could not come under your roof, and vice versa. You would not go under the roof of a Gentile, okay? Because they were ceremonially unclean. So you would have nothing to do with them, essentially. Yeah, but it was even worse because it was a, a religious racism, which made it even worse and more powerful. But in uh, in verse fourteen, but when I saw, and so Paul, when Paul come, when Paul came, and brothers from Jerusalem came, the, the hot shots, the big guys, the the pastors and the evangelists and prophets and things like that, when they came, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. He stops associating them and says, "Hey, I'm a good Jew. I don't. I, I'm not even to do with that." And Paul rebukes him to his face. Mm-hmm. In front of yeah, and so he says, "But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jew, Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles." Nevertheless, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, again, the Judaism, mm-hmm. knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Look in uh, 3 verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness." Therefore, be sure that it's those who are of the faith, or who are of faith, who are the sons of Abraham. And again, the Jews, the the Jews called themselves the sons of Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. Um, the Pharisees and them, they told Jesus, "We're sons of Abraham, not like you, who are a son of basically no man or whatever." And so, so the claim that the Jews have is that we are the sons of Abraham. Paul is telling them, it doesn't matter that you're born in a certain location. It doesn't matter that you keep rituals. It doesn't matter what you do, the language that you speak. The sons of Abraham are those who follow by faith. All right? Um, 
Verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by, by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, who, he who practices them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Um, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, um, we see over and over that whenever he talks about uh, not being saved by works of the law, he is talking, one of the, we've talked about it several times before, the two major issues the early church was facing was they were being followed by, uh, by uh, Gnostics, and the biggest problem that they really had to deal with is that they were being followed by Judaizers. Everywhere Paul would go, Judaizers were coming right behind him and say, you know what, all this faith in Jesus is good. You're, you're doing great there. Don't, 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 don't stop doing what you're doing. But while you're doing it, you also need to circumcise your kids. You need to, uh, you need to um, observe ritual washings. You need, to, um, you need to keep the temple sacrifices, all that kind of stuff. Okay? This, if you'll read the New Testament in almost every single book, this is the issue that Paul was facing. And this was the thing that he was combating. The book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, all these books were written almost entirely to combat this very thing. And it's interesting and amazing to me that we are combating this very thing even today. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and he was fighting against these things. So, again, that's why it's good to know a little bit of history. It's good to understand who these things were being written to, why they were being written. What was the purpose that Paul was trying to address? These are the things that he's trying to address. Um, they basically believed in just the spiritual thing. Well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He was a spirit, and, you know, and he didn't really die for your sins. He didn't really resurrect and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of that is the same as, say, like Christian scientists. Well, if I believe that if I pour this coffee on me, if I believe hard enough that it's not going to burn me, it's not going to burn me, mm. right? If I believe Mary Baker Eddy said that, you know, that she would never die because she believed it strong enough. And now, in other words, it's mind over matter. Everything is spirit. No, there's no such thing as reality. This, this thing doesn't exist. It's like the Matrix, right? Um, there is no reality, there are no absolutes, there are no certains, everything is just kind of ethereal, everything is spiritual and stuff like that. Those agnostics believe that yeah. as well. Yeah. And, then, and then they had the... And that's they, still here today too. Right. I thought agnostics just believed that there was like a higher Well, I think it's more than agnostics, but yeah, but... Okay. But the, the Jews, a lot of the Jews that were either becoming Christians or interested in becoming Christians or whatever were trying to... Get the believers to practice all the old covenant rituals, basically, right. including not telling them to abstain from certain foods, which Paul talked about that too. Which like, is what we're going to see in Galatians, Colossians chapter 2, if you guys want to turn there while she's talking. And again, if, and that's, got, that's why we can't just read the Bible and just, and just, yeah. like, just not put ourselves in it. Okay, because if we if we read the Bible in a 21st century mindset, you will not understand it. You cannot understand it. 
And that's why it's good to know a lot of the Old Testament as well. Now, a lot of people say you don't need to read the Old Testament. That's where someone else and stuff like that. The Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. And you cannot truly understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. Because, I mean, Jesus quoted from it constantly. Paul, Peter, everybody quoted from the Old Testament. It was the foundation of their faith. Everything that they built on was built on the foundation of the Old Testament. And I will tell you this. People that were saved in the Old Testament were saved in the same exact way as people in the New Testament. Now, it wasn't the full fulfillment of it because Jesus had not come. But Abraham, we just read, was what? The father of faith. And everyone who has faith... Is, is the son of Abraham. And we follow in the footsteps of him. David, all these mighty men and women of God that were in the Old Testament, they believed through faith. You see it. Like read Hebrews 11. It's just boom, boom, boom. Rahab, by faith, allowed the people of God to, you know, and stuff. And it's just person after person who by faith conquered kingdoms, by faith performed acts of righteousness. Everything that they did was by faith. Okay? And that's one thing that that if you read the Old Testament, you see over and over and over, and there's people now, too, who don't understand that it's by faith. And, they're, you know, and, and they were doing their works, they were doing their religious things, and thinking that by doing their religious things, that that would save them. And it didn't. Because it's not the doing of the religious things if it's not accompanied with faith. Um, turn to Colossians 2, chapter 11, or verse 11. We'll... Look at what Amy was talking about. Paul is saying, In him you also were circumcised with a, with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, here in the New Testament, we don't circumcise by the flesh. Okay? And I'm not saying that, it, you know, our kids were circumcised and stuff. But, you know, but it wasn't for a ritual. It wasn't for religious reasons or anything like this. Exactly. And stuff. So... Um, so he said, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, um, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That right there is the law, guys. It's the law. The law and it's just, let me give you an analogy of it. The law, say the laws of our land will not make you a righteous person, okay? If you are a lawbreaker going down the highway at 70 when it says 55, you are a lawbreaker, right? But if you are driving down the road at 55, you are keeping the law. But... And, and if if you're driving down the highway at 70 and a cop pulls behind you, what happens? Your heart's filled with fear, right? Because you know that you are breaking the law. So at this point, the law has condemned you and condemned you as a lawbreaker because you are breaking the law. But if you're driving 55 and a cop passes comes behind you, what are you going to do? Hey, how's it going? It's no problem, right? Because you know that there is nothing to condemn you over. You are fulfilling the law. Okay, verse, four, uh, verse 15, when it says, 14 again, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, and having, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over, over them through him. Look at verse 16, therefore, 
No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Again, he's, he's talking about the law, right? And he's talking about the Judaizers who have fallen Paul and say, what you're doing is great, but you need to keep the Sabbaths also. And there are Christian churches today that are like, you need to obey the Sabbath. Well, the Bible says that in Hebrews that Jesus is our Sabbath. And if we have entered into Jesus, we have entered into that rest. And we are resting from our works. He is our Sabbath. And now, and it's like, you know, and it's not like Jesus made anything lighter. We talked about this before, but Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And so, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, um, in in verse 15 when he had disarmed, or verse 16 therefore there is no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ everything in that old testament law was pointing to Jesus everything and if if you don't see Jesus in the old testament if you don't see him in the laws then you're missing it now but I have a question if God did it for Paul, why couldn't he do it for the whole Jewish community? And, well, you know it yeah. Be a, a whole because of the hardness world. of their hearts. Well, and he gives us free will. So because he gives us free will, we have a choice to make. And he would love to save everybody. The Bible says that it's his will that all be saved. Hmm. But because he gives us free will and gives us the ability to choose him or not choose him, He's not going to force us. Anybody, even his own people, he won't force. You know, like he. And and Jesus said, um, "How often I have longed to gather you under my wings, like a mother." Help me with that scripture, somebody. But yeah, Jay, uh, Jesus wanted, wept Jesus over him. Wept over them, and he said, "I wanted to gather you like a hen, you know, under my wings, but you would not have it." It's like he tried over and over in the Old Testament, sending prophet after prophet, yeah. preparing them, giving them prophecies of Jesus that we. 400 prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus' coming as the Messiah. He tried everything to try to get them and to pull them, and they just, the majority of the yeah. says, how can you be a teacher of the Old Testament law and not understand these things? So yeah. he did make it, yeah, it, he tried he so hard. Did. Well, and it's just like we talked about, I mean, it's, it's in plain sight. Just like even now, it's in plain sight. Every time we see the sun come up, every time we see the stars, it's in plain view in front of us. But we're not willing so, to receive it. We're not willing to yeah. accept it. We're not willing to see it. And so so we don't. Um, but yeah. Um, in verse 18, it says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and, uh, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why then, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And again, just like you say, it's not he wasn't talking about marijuana or anything like that. He was talking about the Jewish... Uh, Hebrew laws and stuff and the washings and the cleansings and don't touch the unclean things and and Jesus Jesus all the time pointed out this is what this really means 
He was all the time talking about, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of a man. It's not if you eat this unclean animal, that's not going to defile you. What's going to defile you is your heart that's wicked. And the circumcision is not of the flesh, but it's of the heart. And so, and so all these things that were instituted in the Old Testament, even David himself said, I know that sacrifices and meal offerings is not what you have desired. What you have desired is a heart. And so, and so, again, there were people who understood what God was trying to show them. And it's just like in the New Testament how Jesus would give a parable, but people didn't understand what he was saying. Even his disciples didn't understand a lot of times what he was saying. And, but it was right there in plain, plain sight. Children could understand, you know. And, and all that stuff in the Old Testament, it was there as a picture to get them to understand what was behind it and what he was truly trying to say. Um, it says, verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and the self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, keeping all these things isn't going to make you holy. It might make you look like you're holy, but it's not going to make you truly holy. Um, so, Having said that, we fully believe and affirm we are saved by faith. We are saved by the grace of God. Um, the thing that, that I want to combat is this whole thing that anytime you start talking about obedience, people say, well, that's just works, right? And we're not saved by works. Well, no, we're not saved by works. And nothing that you do will save you. But if you are saved, you will have good works. Amen. It's yeah. impossible not to. The Bible says we have been saved for good works, yeah. yep. which God has created. In Proverbs, fear of the Lord is to hate sin. If you mm -hmm. don't hate sin, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. to the degree you hate sin is the degree you're going to fear the Lord. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So then you don't reverence him enough to, to turn your back on drinking or gross, right. smoking marijuana or whatever. Right. Then, you know, the more fear of the Lord you have, the less sin you're going to have. Right. Yeah. Because you, that's that's what Proverbs says. Right. Yeah. And Jesus says that if you both, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. It's like so much in the church today, and there are some churches that's their whole thing that they stand on. There are a yes. lot of uh, <laughs> preachers that preach it and stuff. They're they're like anytime you want to follow the Lord in obedience, that's that's legalism. Mm -hmm. Anything that costs you a little bit, that's legalism. If you are doing, look, look, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> and the thing is, it's just because a thing is difficult doesn't make it legalism, right? When Jesus went to the cross and he died and he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. That was not legalism. <laughs> that was doing the will of the Father. And that's the thing, is because we give these people a false view of Christianity, and they're like, well, I'm never going to do anything that's difficult, because that's God legalism. Huh? That wasn't his wrath. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise. Mm -hmm. Christ. It pleased yeah. him to do that. Yeah. It wasn't his wrath, it was his pleasure. Yeah. So that men may be saved. Yeah. So people but, kind of get that all. Yeah, but you know, from the standpoint of the one going through it, then you're like, well, it sure feels it, like right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hebrews what? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. What verse? Verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud, and 
Jeremy read this last night. Yeah. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So many believers these days have no endurance. So many believers, we wimp out at the first sign of struggle. And believe me, guys, if we're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be a fight. Yeah. Because we have hell coming against us. We have our own flesh coming against us. And it's a hard road. The Bible says it's a narrow road. Few are those who find it. And stuff. It's a narrow road. It's not easy. Um. It says, Let us, uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look at this in verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And I find this very interesting. Wow. Uh, Hebrews must have been written fairly early mm. because it, it wasn't long before they were um, shedding their blood for their belief. Mm -hmm. um, just like Jeremy said last night, every apostle died, was was martyred, except for John. Every single one of them. And they tried to boil them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even, even the sons, or the, the next generation, and the next generation were, were, were martyred and stuff. Mm, wow. I mean, Nero, Nero mm -hmm. uh, would take people impale them on stakes and light them on fire in his, his garden at night. Jesus. This was the kind of stuff. They would, they would throw them in the Colosseum with children, women and children, with like starved lions and tigers and stuff. They would throw them in the Colosseum with them without weapons to defend themselves. Which, just for the record, a lot of that I, knowledge comes from the, the works of Josephus. Yeah, and the Fox's the, Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. I mean, my personal belief, I think that, that, if, that if God sees that you're to that extreme, I think he'll remove your spirit out of your body before yeah. your body feels anything. Yeah. yeah. I believe well, that. And that's what I believe. And, and that's why I like because that book. When, when, remember when the three guys were thrown yeah. into the uh, mm -hmm. furnace fire? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They didn't feel nothing. And right. they came out not even... Like yeah. Their eyes were so. the the word tells us about maybe you know the scripture where it says um, as we set upon our eyes upon the Lord that we would not even feel the sting of death. Uh -huh. And Perpetua, I don't know if she's in this book, but Perpetua was like that. She was being thrown by animals and eaten, and she didn't even know because her eyes were so on the Lord. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And there's, like I've told these guys before too, there was a guy being being uh, burned at the stake and uh, his friends who were going after him were like, um, if it's bearable, give us a sign. And uh, like when they were burning him, he was clapping his hands and stuff. And this is, mm -hmm. I mean, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's why you read books like that too because it's like, I'm like, you know, what would have if I was in that situation, I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure, you know, and stuff. But you read things like that and you read about people who did it and stuff and they had the same fears and the same concerns. But like you say, when they were in that situation, it was bearable. And not only was it bearable, but it was it was like 
a, where they did stuff yeah. that did hurt and oh, yeah. but thank thank God that his grace is often there to make it at yeah. least bearable mm-hmm. and to bring in that spirit, you know. Yeah. Like when they were stoning Stephen, it says in in the book of Acts, it says that he looked up and yeah. saw mm-hmm. heaven, and and I, I bet Stephen was just like, you know, like in that moment he didn't feel the pain because he saw Jesus and he was mm-hmm. so excited, like I'm fixing to go be with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I love that because it's not the grace to get out of it; it's the grace to go through. Yeah. Okay, Um, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. By the way, the book of uh, Hebrews was written to people who were, they were at the beginning stages of the persecution. And so some of them were starting to be persecuted, and because of it, a lot of them were turning back. And a lot of them were, were turning away from their faith and saying, I, I can't go through this and stuff. And so the reason why the book of Hebrews was written is Paul is right, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to them saying, look, it's tough. I know it's hard, but go through it, endure it, and there will be, there will be a, reward. A, a reward at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that is the purpose for the book of Hebrews. Um, says, verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every sin whom he, every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there without discipline? Um, Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet. In other words, encourage your brothers too. And that's what the church is for, to encourage each other and to be there for each other when it hits the fan. Mm -hmm. Because it will. I think we'll see. You know, look look how much change is in our country has happened over the last 20 years, you know, from the time when you were a kid. I mean, it used to be that Christianity was... I never really thought that, but Jerry believes that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that when I was a kid, yeah, when I was a kid, Christianity was accepted. It was the norm, and everything outside of it was abnormal. Everything outside of it was not normal, and it, it was treated as such. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the complete opposite. And there are forces in this world and in this country who are not just, you know, we'll, we'll live with Christianity, but we're going to, you know, shun them and treat them bad. But there are forces who want to dis- destroy every vestige of Christianity. And we are the enemy to people. Yeah. We are the enemy. We are not just, you know, like they're kooks. I don't, you know, I don't believe what they believe. I think they're weird and stuff like that. We are viewed as the enemy to yeah. some people. Yeah. And some people... We get to love our enemies. Hallelujah. Yeah. 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 But the point being is that there are forces which, which won't be happy unless Christianity is stamped yeah. out. I heard someone say it's it's easier to die for Jesus, it's 
harder to live for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, amen. Amen to that. Oh, that wants me to go on a tangent, but I won't. <laughs> Remind me of that later. Okay. It's really cool. Okay, so let's, let's turn to one more place and we'll end it there. In uh, Romans chapter 6. And this stuff will help you understand the book of Romans also, by the way. Because, uh, again, the thing that is really a pet peeve of mine, because I hear it all the time, it's like anyone that tries to walk in obedience and it costs them a little. David, when David, there was a time when David was hiding from Saul. And he's like, he's, he was looking at a well of water. And he's like, man, that would be nice to have a, a drink of that water. Three of his men went down there through Saul's army. They snuck through his army and they got a drink of water and they brought it back to David. And David poured it on the ground and he says, I will not take something that costs me nothing. But we as believers, we're being taught that God doesn't require anything of you. God doesn't need anything from you. And God doesn't need anything from us. I mean, God doesn't need anything that we have. But... The Bible says that, Paul says, we are co-laborers with Christ. And we make up for what was is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, Jesus purposefully left some things undone for us, for each one of us, to use our gifts to fulfill. Amen. And, um, and so we're being taught that, that, that any kind of thing that you do that costs you a little something, and, and I know, I, we have been in a legalistic church, we, we went to a church for probably, what, eight years and stuff, where it was like, it was really legalistic and, and beyond, right? So why did you stay there eight years? Because we were Well, because <laughs> we, here, here's the thing. 25 what, what, what attracts a person like that is zealousness. Um, the, the pastor knew the word like no one that I've ever known in my life. He, wow. he knew the word. He could quote scriptures and stuff. And... Let me let me let, let me use an example. When the Bible talks about a man being the head of the household and and the wives submitting and stuff like that, you can take that at face value, and you can say, no matter what, one, you're going to submit to me, and it looks biblical, right? You can take scripture and say, well, this is what the Bible says, right here. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't say that. It's right there, okay? And if you're zealous. And you have not trained yourself, you have not studied the word for yourself, but you listen to what someone else teaches you, and you say, wow, that person seems like a man of God, that person knows more than I do. And even when you have voices of doubt, you have voices saying, you know, I don't know about that, but it's like, but no, no, you know, I, I have to humble myself. This is pride speaking up in me, right? And so... You'll notice that most cults attract people that are zealous. And a zeal without knowledge is a bad thing. That's why, that's why you know, that we got to know the Word. we got to know the Word for ourselves. Because uh, if we don't care to know the Word, then there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with us if there's no desire to know God through His Word. At the same time, if, if we just let someone teach us and someone tell us, this is what the Bible says, then you're going to get steered. It's, it's like someone taking your tail and just turning you where they want you to go. So that's why we have to be Bereans. We have to study to show ourselves approved. We have to rightly discern the Word of God and not just listen. At, how many believers never crack open a Bible? 
We go to church every Sunday. We listen to the preacher and stuff and just, ooh, yeah, that sounds great and stuff. And so while, while, um, while our situation doesn't happen to a lot of people, a lot of people are in the exact same place in that they're just going off of what they've been taught. They're just being taught, and they're just going like robots and just, okay, well, we'll do that then, and stuff. And they are not studying the Word for themselves. And so it doesn't matter what kind of your church you're in. We preach what we preach, because in every church, in every church, you know, and the thing is, it's, a, it's like, you know, if you can reach one person, and, and and you can and you can make them the boom the lights come on yeah. it's like wow you know what that's me you know and the thing is that we've all dealt with it to some degree you know I mean shoot that's that's the battle just like you say how do you maintain that shoot I just yeah. like if, if you knew if I knew that secret yeah we have a wandering heart yeah exactly and so and, and and we have to shepherd our own hearts. It's like, oh, okay, get back, get back. <laughs> you know, you're you're going the wrong way. But let me let me read this in in in, in Romans six, and we'll end right there, and then we can talk or whatever. Romans six verse one it says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be." King James says, "God forbid." It says, "How shall we who died to sin still live in it?" And it, Guys, there is no excuse for sin. Okay, uh, I'm not saying that we don't we don't deal with sin and stuff like that. But but be careful of any church that gives you an excuse to sin, or any preacher, or any anything that gives you an excuse that says it's okay or whatever. Now, does God understand? Does God love you, everybody, anyway. All right. Does God understand our weaknesses? Yes. Does God? And God has been so merciful to all of us, right? And when we didn't deserve mercy, and I'm not talking about before we got saved, I mean after we got saved. And God has been so merciful to us. But yet, never at any circumstance, at any point, do we say, well, do we make an excuse for that and say, okay, I'm good and stuff. And I'm like, you know. Saved by grace, it don't matter. Exactly. It's just grace, 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 grace. You know, it's like God's grace. Man, God's grace is a power. God's grace is an ability to overcome. Jesus didn't come to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. And his grace gives us the power and the ability to live above that. The problem is, is sometimes, you know, it's like a whole thing about, you know, God with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. God does that. With every temptation, there's a way of escape. Only problem is sometimes we're like, oh, I don't see it. I I I don't see it. Where's it at? Where's it at? Where, oh, where's, you told me there would be a way of escape. What? So, yeah, it's all the heart. Okay, what, uh, verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, if we've died to ourselves, certainly we shall also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. 
all this, oh, I can't help it, I'm just a sinner, and stuff like that. And again, I understand strongholds. We build up strongholds, we live 30 years, live in a certain way and stuff, there's a stronghold there. Strongholds don't come down overnight. They take patience, they take hitting it with a battering ram, and just pounding it, and pounding it, and pounding it. And pretty soon, like you're like, nothing's happening. And then one day, there's a crack. And you're like, oh, okay, keep hitting it. And stuff. And so I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying that we have the tools, we have the ability. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Yeah. This well, is. Later on in seven, I mean, it, it goes back to the obedience of the heart. Yeah. We got to obey, right. repent, and obey, and go back to righteousness. Right. And and the thing that proceeds Romans seven is Romans six, which a lot of people just like will lift chapters out of Romans, and yeah. it's like, well, you got to take the whole thing. You can't just take parts of it. Um, right, right, like Romans 6 and Romans 8 sandwich. Romans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got cream filled. Mm. It says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. And there's a lot that we can talk about now, but... For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. No, when Adam and Eve sinned, we gave Satan the right to own us because we entered into his territory, which is sin. Mm-hmm. Before Adam and Eve had sinned, he had no rights over us. Mm-hmm. He had no dominion over us. He had no legal hold over us. When Adam and Eve sinned, and we all followed in the footsteps of Adam by sinning ourselves, we put ourselves under the dominion of Satan. Right. Okay, When Jesus died... We see, and mankind was in that state to where we could not be freed from that. We were locked into it. When Jesus Christ, the only person who had never sinned, came and he died because what was death? Death was the ultimate punishment for sin. So Jesus suffered the ultimate punishment for sin, and yet he had never sinned. So by that, he broke the curse that was set against us. Does that make sense? In that very act, he broke right. Satan's hold over us and Satan's Satan's free legal right that he had to us. Jesus broke it at that point. But let me ask you a question then. What was Satan doing in the uh, Eden to begin with? From day one. Looking for trouble. And if you really think about it, <laughs> yeah, but if you really think about it, it was just going to be a matter of time before Adam and Eve would fail because he was smarter than they were. Yeah. It was just going to be a matter of time. Well, you know, it's like... We come into this world and we make mistakes that 20, 40 years later, we look back and we're like, God, man, I wish I I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. But we didn't have the experience. We were naive. We fell into the trap. You know, when you're a teenager, you don't have the wisdom. Yeah. So you do stupid things that when you're in your 30s and 40s, you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Hopefully you're smarter. <laughs> right. But yeah, well, that's, it's like... It's not going to come until later on. Yeah. Like, if you were now what you didn't know then, yeah. wouldn't you go back to that young thing and say, say hey, yeah. listen to me, don't do this, 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 and that. Yeah. Because you're going to regret it as you get older. Yeah. And then so there's we're all victims. There's a whole possibility that maybe Satan wasn't smarter than Adam and Eve. Because sometimes answer. even people that yeah. aren't smarter than us lead us into sin. You That's know, it's right. not necessarily that Satan was smarter than Adam and Eve, it's that they chose to believe him. Mm. And 
but it feels well, but, but, but it, it is true that he's persistent. Garden, why was Satan doing there to begin with? Well, since right. he, rebe- he was a fallen right. angel who rebelled against God. Yeah, so yeah. he's, I mean, he knew what it was like. The Satan, he's a master of like imitating what right. God has made. And so he came as an animal because God made animals. So he made himself into something that looked, right. looked like so what God had yeah. made because that's what a deceiver does. He looks like something mm-hmm. that God mm-hmm. made, but really it's something an imitation yeah it's an imitation of what God made so and he knew how like how to you know just kind of like I don't even like people think temptation is always all real blatant and everything like mm-hmm. like you will be able to easily see it like no get away from me say but it's so <laughs> stinky yeah. it's, it looks like something from God it yes, looks yeah. like something that is mm-hmm. I learned it. something new that I want to share with you guys you know what fear means hmm. fake evidence appearing real Mm-hmm. Fake mm-hmm. evidence of Fake appearing evidence. real. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. You know, and the, the thing is, too, when Satan tempted Jesus, he tempted him three times. Now, like, if you just read that, it sounds like it was like boom, 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 but it mm-hmm. might not have been at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, it may have been days or even weeks in between, you know, and stuff. And oh, who and, knows how many years they lived in the garden before that happened yeah right. and, and also the also the bible talks about when when jesus overcame satan's temptations it says satan left him for a more opportune time so even after that he was still going to come oh, back he was still kind of, yeah. yeah so okay romans 6 Ver- yeah yeah well and the thing is is yeah yeah and the thing is, is Satan never comes at an opportune moment. Because just like you say, sometimes we're like, okay, like, like, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's like, it's like if so, if I know someone's going to break in my door, I'm going to sit in front of the door with like a bat or something like that. But then they're breaking into the bedroom, you know, and stuff. They have been comfortable because Eve wasn't right by Adam yeah. at that point. And that's whenever he came to her. Yeah. So it was an opportune time for Satan and not for her. It had to be in comfortability, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And who knows how long he kind of cultivated a relationship with Eve or Adam either. I know when we we lived in a bad neighborhood one time and we had this dog that was supposedly a watchdog. And uh, these guys tried to break in our house one night and like we scared them off. And like as they were running away, the dog was just kind of running beside them and, you know, like like he was their pet. Right. You know. And so I'm like, how long have they been cultivating this dog? You know, and stuff. So. But anyway, back to Romans 6. We'll, we'll finish up. Uh, verse uh, 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Don't make excuses for it. Don't say, hey, this is just my Italian blood or, you know, my Irish desire for whiskey or whatever. He says, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive. I hope that didn't sound racist. Okay. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting yourself, members of your body, as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So, grace is not an excuse. Right. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient, not just in action, not just on the outward, but from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourself, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Again, free will. Even if believers, you can choose what you're going to serve. Going to have to serve somebody. Okay. Sorry. I that was like good. that slave, a slave to righteousness. Yeah. I love it says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. In this scripture that we always use as a standalone, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he was writing that to believers. <laughs> 